Welcome to the Be Consumed podcast, where we regularly consider and ask the question, what is consuming you? all of the voices in our world competing for your attention, philosophies that want to control you, there is only one thing worth building your life on, and that's the Word of God. I'm Wes Church, pastor of First Baptist Church, Columbia, and I'm so glad to have you joining me here today. I have been so thrilled to hear from so many of you who've become consumed with the Consumed Bible Reading Plan. I've gotten questions from a lot of you about specific verses or maybe uh, situations that caught you off guard in your reading. There have been comments about new revelations you've been uh, had while you've been reading the Bible, light bulbs going off, a newfound excitement to read the scriptures. I've walked in on conversations between uh, many of you talking about your Bible reading, and I cannot tell you how encouraging that has been to this pastor. What a great step of faith and spiritual discipline you've taken by committing to reading your Bibles on a daily basis. And so I just want to reinforce to you here at the beginning of the year how important it is for you to start a habit when it comes to your Bible reading plan. I would say read at a specific time, uh, a specific place each day, and just really set boundaries around that time, around that place, uh, so that other things don't interrupt it um, and that you can just kind of keep that habit. Um, I read in the mornings. Actually, my habit right now is I listen uh, to the YouVersion Bible app, read the scripture to me, as I'm getting ready for the day, and I'll often pause it and I'll back up to make sure I accurately heard a verse, um, if I've got a question about it. And then when I get to the office, I pull out the Bible in my journal and I jot down some reflections and notes from the reading plan. Um, I like doing it that way so that I get the verses in my mind before I even get my day started. And it's amazing how the verses will stay with me. In fact, um, our reading um, this morning included Genesis 15:9, And in that verse, God tells Abram to bring him a three-year-old cow or a three-year-old heifer, uh, to bring him a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, there's a children's Bible song called Bring Me a Heifer by Randall Goodgame. It's on his Slugs and Bugs album. And McKenna Carter reminded me of that song, and she said she wanted to hear it in my sermon this coming week. Well, it's probably not going to make it there, but I did get the song stuck in my head after that. So this morning, whenever I, I ran in to grab some of the grocery store and on the way out, I was humming, whap, whap, a dippity dum diddy, oh, whap, whap, dippity do. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. <laughs> I can't believe I just did that, and that's probably the last song you'll ever hear me read on this podcast. My point is, though, okay, the point of the whole thing is the Word has a way of sticking with it if you read and think about it, and if you do it first thing in the morning, you've got all day for it to pop in and out of your mind. Um, I've made sure my kids all have the reading plan primarily. They are also using the YouVersion Bible app, either reading it or listening to it from time to time. And uh, and they read on their own. I say time to time. They're doing it every day because I'll ask them, how's it going? Are you caught up? And so I was asking the other day and um, Evan uh, said to me, uh, I said, Evan, have you done your reading today? He said, yep, I did. I read all about how Noah was naked. <laughs> and I was reminded people are going to discover all kinds of enlightening things uh, when they read the text that they'd never known about the scriptures before. It also might bring about some really unexpected conversations, you know, things like getting drunk, repercussions of substance abuse. And you know what? It's a great way to uh, reinforce some things that we really believe um, because our kids are reading the word. 
One way to become more disciplined, I would say, is to read in community with others. I mean, there's so many people in our church right now, or maybe around you, uh, even if you're not at First Baptist, that are reading the same verses and chapters you're reading each day. So it's a great idea to start a texting group, you know, where you can check in with them. Say, what did you read today? What did you think about it? This is what I read. This stood out to me. You know, this is a question that I had. What did y'all think about that? Um, and you ask people, hold me accountable. I'll hold you accountable. You make sure I'm doing it. And so that's why we're encouraging our classes and small groups to make time uh, during your meetings to discuss the reading plan. And some of those Bible studies and groups are going to be built around the Bible reading plan. I think we'll be much more successful in this venture if we have structure and accountability in it. Also, I want to encourage you, don't just read it and check the box. I mean, I know that's the tempting thing to do. I'm called up, you know, but really the goal is, is that you not just read it, but you think about it. Respond to the text, determine action steps so you can put into practice what you're reading in God's word, what he's teaching you. And of, of course, in the consume booklet, we included um, steps on how to use the hear method uh, with regards to Bible reading. And it's explained in there, you know, as you read the text, highlight, that's the H, highlight, you know, a verse or two that resonates with you. Um, I would encourage you, in fact, uh, you know, we have these consumed journals now. They're free. They're available at the church. You can pick them up. Uh, they've got the same branding that the booklets have. And uh, Or if you've got your own journal or own notebook or own, you know, scrap paper, whatever, take a piece of paper, write down a verse or phrase that stands out to you. And then E, H-E, the E is explained, right? In a few sentences, what the verse means, like why it was included in this passage of Scripture, not just how it, what it means to you, but what, what, why did it fit here in the text? What's happening there? Around just a couple sentences. And then the A of here is apply. What steps can you take to put into practice what you're reading and learning in the text? I mean, new way of thinking. Maybe it's something you need to start doing. Maybe something you need to stop doing. And then finally, the R is respond. Write out a prayer um, or a journal. Uh, maybe just a few sentences of how your life might change because of this text. You might respond by writing a list of names uh, to pray for, situations to pray for. Uh, my hope is that through this Bible reading plan, in this preaching series, in this podcast, more of you will take steps to consume and be consumed by the Word of God. All right, I want us to dive into the story of Scripture today. Uh, this past week, we had six days of reading that carried us through what George Guthrie calls Act 1 of the Bible, as we read Genesis 1 through uh, Genesis 11, and there were a couple psalms, I think three psalms thrown in there, a few verses from John 1. Um, Act 1 of the Bible is foundational material if you want to be able to thrive in this world, if you want to be able to understand it. Um, uh, it's critical material. Uh, you cannot answer the biggest questions in life without referring to these pages. Questions like, where did we come from? Who's in charge? Who am I? What's wrong with this world that we live in? How can it be fixed? Those questions all get addressed in Act 1 of the story of Scripture, which, remember, I said last week to you, Act 1 of the story of the whole world. Because the Bible is the true story of the world, not just what Christians believe. It's the true story of the world. So our reading plan breaks Act 1 into three scenes. We've got creation, fall, and then flood. Um, on Sunday, I wrapped up the sermon as God banished Adam and Eve from Eden at the end of Genesis 3. That's Act 1, Scene 2. Um, and he placed a cherubim there, a flaming sword to protect, uh, the, to defend against mankind coming back into the garden and getting to that tree of life. And if you read the text with a critical mind, surely you asked yourself, well, what happened to him? I mean, these image bearers of God, the first man and woman, 
They're driven out into what is really the wilderness. I mean, it's like banishing someone outside the city gates. Um, and it's particularly wild in this wilderness because men had fallen. Sin had affected all of creation. God cursed the land as a repercussion of sin. So what, what happened to them? What we know is they did not cease to be what God had created them to be. They're still human. They're still made in the image of God. They're not, they're not animals. They're not fallen angels. They are human image bearers of God. But man's rebellion dramatically affected what humanity becomes. So it's outside of Eden that Eve gives birth to two healthy sons. We know it was a painful experience, um, a reminder of her sin. But now there's this precious little family of four. And, and you think, you know, surely they had thoughts. Maybe it's all looking up now. The bad's worn off, you know. We're moving forward. And then five verses into chapter four, and it becomes very clear. There has been a terrible change in the human heart. Their oldest son, their firstborn son, killed their second son. The curse of sin had forever changed the world. Genesis 4 through chapter 11 is the story of the spread and the escalation of sin and brokenness and destruction that just makes it way its way into the entirety of creation. The story goes from bad to worse to terrible until God looks out on his world. And as we read in Genesis 6, 5 through 7, he saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, that every inclination that the human mind um, was nothing but evil all the time. Then the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. The Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I created off the face of the earth. It's as if God judged the first man and woman, banished them out of the garden, then watched as sin spread and grew, and he kept judging and implementing repercussions until it was at the point that God chose the nuclear option, destruction of the world. The human appetite for sin and wickedness never fully and finally satisfied. It can always get worse. And that's a real terrible reality for us as human beings watching the world around us evolve. I mean, we wonder, where's the bottom to human depravity? I know you probably have the same experience. You listen to the news, you watch what's being debated, and, and you think the story of Scripture makes it clear there really is no bottom to human depravity. Sin and wickedness can always get worse. Well, that's a terrible prospect, particularly as we're living here on earth. So God, the holy judge of creation, in his wrath, sends a flood. But what we find in the narrative regarding Noah and the flood is that God's also a gracious redeemer. God preserves Noah's family. He preserves mankind as image bearers there. And the family finally steps off the ark. The animals, you know, the, the floodwaters subside. The animals and Noah, they all exit. Noah immediately builds an altar. And he offers burnt offering to God. And I wonder if you paid attention to Genesis 8, 21. Just a powerful verse in my mind. It says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Speaking of that, the smoke rising up from this um, burnt alt, uh, offering on the altar. God said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. The Lord smelled the aroma of the offering and he graciously turned toward mankind, not away from. In Eden, God established a covenant with Adam where he was required to obey God in order to secure God's blessing. You do this, I'll do that kind of thing. Covenant of works. And then there's the fall, and in Genesis 3.15, there's this whisper of a new covenant. 
a covenant of grace where God will fulfill the covenant of works. I'll do this, and then I'll give you that, is what that covenant is all about. Favor we could never earn ourselves. God earns for us and gives to us. He reestablishes that covenant with Noah after the flood. And as members of the human race, um, heartbroken over the effect of sin and brokenness in the world, we can remain hopeful today that God's going to fix it. God's going to fix everything that's been broken. The reminder, though, is that we can't fix it. Man does not have the solution to the world's problems. We're entering a presidential election year, if you haven't you know, noticed. And, uh, I mean, so many of us are going to put a whole lot of pressure on a person or a party or a platform to solve the world's problems this year. I can't see the future. But before the very first vote is even held on this presidential election, or any other election for that matter, I can say with all confidence today, whoever is elected in November will not be the solution to the world's problems because there is only one who is able to solve our problems, and it's the Lord Jesus. And one day he'll fix it all. I alluded to Revelation 22 at the end of my sermon on Sunday, but I ran out of time. You know, I uh, had to rush the conclusions because I got the picture of that the snakes and the iguana in my mind. So I, I want to revisit my point right now. Uh, have you ever read a book and uh, you find yourself in the middle of the drama of the story, you know, the, the conflict, and you're thinking, I need to know what happens. And you just want to turn to the back of the book to figure out, does it get solved? You know, what happens to them? I, I, I'm, I, you know, maybe you Google it, you know, to figure out because you don't want to read the pages, but maybe it'll tell me. Was we reflected on the fall of mankind and judgment for God on, um, from God on the serpent and on Adam and Eve, I found myself wondering, what happens? And we concluded Act 1 uh, uh, on Saturday. It's clear the world is in disarray. I mean, right after the flood, Noah plants a vineyard. He grows some grapes, the first vintner of the world. He makes some wine. He gets drunk on it. He disgraces himself. He shames his family. And all that leads to family breakdown. I mean, remember, he curses his grandson uh, and the offspring of his grandson, all because of this situation. So we know the flood did not solve the world's problems. Genesis 11, all of humanity has put their minds together, you know, and what do they get focused on? How great is man? They become so obsessed with themselves that God confuses the language at Babel. So we know the sin and wickedness gets worse. So maybe you're tempted to know, well, how does it all end? The good news is we do know. Revelation 22, John sees the serpent, and I think it's Genesis, Revelation 20 or 19, where uh, the serpent of old gets his head crushed as he is tossed into the lake of fire, just as God foretold it way back in Genesis 3. And then in Revelation uh, 20, uh, um, John sees the new creation totally restored. New Jerusalem comes down to earth. And then uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, John says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river. Remember that tree? Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. That's the hope we have. That's the end. And God begins to work out his plan in Act 2 with a man named Abram and a promise of a great nation. The plan begins with the nation and people from whom the seed of the woman will be born, who will save us and restore everything, all of creation that was broken in Eden. 
So glad you're joining me on this journey. I hope that you will continue to consume and be consumed by the truth of God's Word. This coming Sunday, I'm going to preach a message called A Man Named Abram from Genesis 12. I hope you'll join me for Bible study and worship at Columbia's First Baptist Church each Sunday. In the meantime, read, think about, and put into practice the truth of God's Word. 